Konnichiwa. This is Erica, and you're listening to the Super Smash Hose, where we smash the patriarchy one episode at a time. Today, I am joined by Marina from Tokyo Period. Hi, Marina. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. So last in the last episode, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Farine talked with uh, Manari from Tokyo Period, and you guys work on this project together, right? Yes. Um, And today, yeah, I wanted to ask you about your involvement in the Tokyo period movement and yeah, just talk about menstruation and taboos and whatnot. So I'm super excited to talk to you. Likewise. Yeah. So can you maybe to start off, um, maybe we can, if you could introduce yourself a little bit where you grew up um, and whatnot. I know uh, Manari was, you know, she lived all over the place too. Super cool. Um, So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Marina, and I'm the president of Period at Tokyo, Japan. Um, I started the Tokyo chapter of the Global Period Movement in November 2019. Before that, um, I was a Japanese college student just navigating the patriarchy, trying to survive mm-hmm. this. And um, so I lived in Japan until I was 14. And then I moved to the United States to attend high school there for four years. And then I came back to Japan, took a gap year, started college, and then um, flew back to the States for a study abroad program and then came back. And through this whole journey of going back and forth, I experienced this patriarchal dominance wherever I went. And I attended an all girls boarding school. So we were all girls, it seemed like the, the, I mean, all of the leadership programs were um, for girls and it was I think that the beauty of that system was that we all stood up for what was right and we didn't stand up for you know all these movements just because we were women we stood up for these movements because we were human beings and we believed in these causes and so in terms of leadership we didn't define ourselves based on women or you know girls we based them on our beliefs and that was really a a wonderful experience for me so when I came back to Japan I thought you know it'd be nice if we could have this sort of culture if we could actually have a culture in which women are empowered and which girls are empowered um, you know regardless of their social standing or regardless of their background, and to actually be able to speak up for issues that they care about. So that's why I started this oh. movement, and that's bit, yeah, that's a bit of who I am. And yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, that was really be- beautifully said. Mm-hmm. So um, when you talked about, you know, when you encountered um, Tokyo, I'm not Tokyo period, but the period menstruation, you know, women's rights and in terms of menstruation, was that in school in the states is that what you mean no actually um it was different i think for me it was in high school i felt like i could focus on the issues that i cared about regardless of my gender but it was after i left high school um when i sort of faced this patriarchal dominance where i faced discrimination because 
I'm a woman. And that's when I started to, to see some of the flaws in our society. And that's really when I started to um, become sensitive to these issues of gender inequality and gender equality. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And that's when actually I found out about the period movement last year um, when I was looking through Maker's Woman on Instagram. Maker's Woman is part of the Maker's documentary that I saw in 2014, I believe. And I was so inspired by that. I started following Maker's Woman. And that's where I found out about Nadia's work. And her movement, her period movement really resonated with me. But it was also her story that resonated. I mean, she had experienced sexual abuse and all kinds of traumatic experiences. And she channeled them in such a beautiful way, in such a selfless way. And that her story and her character really inspired me. So that's when I decided that I wanted to bring that sort of movement, that culture to Japan. And also, um, this is, well, fast forward a little bit, but in November, I launched the Tokyo period movement uh, with my team. But that was mainly for two reasons. One was this personal sort of connection to Nadia's story. But another one, and one that I think is, uh, important for our country to acknowledge is that uh, the Japanese government raised the consumption tax rate from 8% to 10% in October 2019. And food deliveries and takeouts like Uber Eats are exempt from this regular consumption tax rate. But period products are not. And so period products are taxed 10%. So that means that we have a tampon tax of 10%. And uh, that's that hurts us in our everyday lives. So that's why we really wanted to change that. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about the difference, the differences in um, various countries and when it comes to tampon tax, but I do know that in a lot of European countries, at least they're a lot lower than other, you know, um, sorts of consumption, consumption taxes. And yeah, that's true. It did yeah, um, menstruation products were a part of the you know, the tax raise. And yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's just horrible, isn't it? I think what you said about Uber Eats, that's just because it was like for things that are takeout that are consumed at home or like not in the store. It doesn't apply, right? Right, exactly. Okay. Huh. But that's, yeah, it's really empowering for me to also meet people like you who are really passionate about movements like this so thank you for your you know your effort and time that you put into um this and I think what's interesting that you were saying earlier that you felt really empowered um when when you were talking about these issues with your peers in school um and that was a woman's school right girl's school yes that makes me wonder like I wonder because I didn't go to a girl's school here in Japan so it was I definitely felt like you know girls would put their tampons or their pads into little like purses when they go to the bathroom it's like a very kind of like shameful taboo thing right something exactly. that you have to hide so I wonder if it's any different here in girls schools in Japan as well it makes me wonder I heard that, um, so I work with a high school student as well, um, who's very passionate about periods, and it's wonderful to see that, um, but she was sort of saying that, you know, at her school, it was difficult for her to raise that issue of periods, and that she's slowly 
working on that. Um, and she's trying to make this a cultural norm to be able to discuss periods and raise awareness of these issues. But she said that even talking about premenstrual syndrome um, was was difficult because people would just say, mm. isn't it normal for everybody to get periods? And yes, it is normal, but it's also not. I think everybody has yeah. personal experiences and it's important to to raise awareness of that, to share that with people and to be comfortable talking about it. So I've had my fair share of period disasters and I was incredibly mm-hmm. embarrassed, <laughs> right? It's hard to yeah. not forget. It's hard to forget these experiences, I think, because mm-hmm. first of all, I think society tells us that we should be ashamed when we go through this, Definitely. when I'm embarrassed. I remember hiding in the bathroom for 45 minutes and I texted my friend and I said, can you please get me a t-shirt or something? And she rushed to the bathroom. She told me to wrap mm-hmm. it around, but we had to walk to the train station. And so I was there with this huge t-shirt wrapped around my waist, walking to the train station with a big stain um, Mm -hmm. my back. And it was embarrassing. But I think in retrospect, I shouldn't have been embarrassed. I mean, you know, it was one of those accidents and it wasn't ideal. But at the same time, the fact that we are, yeah, yeah, it happens. And I think it's important for us to, for us to be there for each other, uh, when these things happen. Definitely. Yeah. That reminds me of like all the anxiety that I felt, um, experienced as well in those like little accidents that, you know, happen from time to time. And like, I think as, especially in your teen years, girls stress so much about it. And it's kind of, it's very sad to think about it looking back that it causes you so much anxiety for such a natural thing that happens to everyone. So yeah, that's really cool that you're doing this in, Japan as well. Um, I wanted to briefly um, talk about just rephrase what Minari explained about Tokyo period. Mm -hmm. So what you guys do is um, if anyone hasn't listened to the latest episode um, in the previous episode, yeah, Farin and Minari talked about, you know, her involvement in Tokyo period. And so if I'm correct, Tokyo Period is an organization that advocates for the normalization of period and menstrual rights and um, the abolishment of the tax on menstrual products or what's known as the tampon tax, right? Yes. And that's so cool that you started the chapter in Japan. What was the process like as well? Um, Well, it was empowering because um, when we talked to, so when I saw the Maker's Woman feed Mm -hmm. on Instagram and saw Nadia's work, I got in touch with her directly on Instagram and I asked her how I could support her cause because I was inspired by it. And she said, why don't you start a chapter in Japan? And so she was the one who actually encouraged me to build this platform in Japan. And and yeah, it was wonderful. So in that sense, it was easy to start a chapter here because we already had that approval from Nadia and her team. Um, and when once we got our chapter approved, we started sending out messages online, um, started posting things on our social media pages. And so and in terms of recruitment, um, I reached out to a couple of my friends and this a lot of them are feminists. And so they said, yes, let's do this. And they got together. Mm-hmm. We all got together. And then we started this movement as a team. Wow, that's so cool. So what is, yeah, that's that's really cool that you get to work with people, you know, you know, are passionate about this cause too. Um, so what you guys do day to day is, I know that you mentioned that you, um, in the last episode, um, Minari mentioned that you guys went to an international school and talked about um, menstruation 
as well, right? What yes. kind of other activities do you do? I know you guys have your Instagram page, um, Tokyo Period, where you try to you know advocate for the normalization and um, abolishment of the tampon tax. But what are some other things that you guys do? So last week, we launched a campaign called the Give Love Campaign. And it's basically a fundraising mm-hmm. campaign to purchase period products and deliver them to a, a local nonprofit that supports um, refugees and asylum seekers in Japan. Right. And those are some fundraising uh, top, I guess, um, campaigns and, and projects that we have. We also... Um, launched a give love or give art campaign which is an extension of the give love Mm -hmm. campaign and what give art does is that it encourages people to write messages to frontline workers amid the coronavirus outbreak and to destigmatize these uh these issues unfortunately coronavirus is also a source of stigma um Mm -hmm. and um which is unbelievable but i heard that frontline workers are also um stigmatized and bullied and for us i think it's important for us to stand with these people who are fighting for our lives and you know we basically started this uh movement to address certain period policy issues but also period stigma and that's why Mm -hmm. we're really passionate about issues related to stigma as a whole and give art is one way for us to stand in solidarity with the people um, who are fighting on the front lines so that's what we do we also um yeah we also have that instagram feed where we keep sending out information about periods and trying to raise awareness of the issue we also talk to publications directly uh, to share this and um we've we've received uh, much support from people after that. So that's been really nice to see. Wow. That's so cool. Um, Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. But yeah, what you said, definitely like all these stigma and all the stigma and um, kind of all these sorts of issues, they're all very interrelated. And I think especially marginalized people, you know, suffer from it a lot, um, sometimes more than, you know, people who aren't necessarily marginalized in society so that's really cool that you guys are doing this fundraiser as well um yeah if any of you are listening um yeah go to their instagram and check check them out um yeah thank you so much what else um oh yeah i wanted to ask you about what people like what for example our listeners can do or me, really, what can people do in their day-to-day lives to help normalize periods or menstruation? I would say it's, I think, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, it's, even though people, even if, like, you know, someone's passionate about normalizing um, menstruation, like, it might be a bit difficult or you know they might it might be a bit ambiguous in terms of what they can do personally so I think to have kind of tangible ways to approach that would be great I couldn't agree with you more I mean this is one of those gray topics that I think are hard to you know to navigate especially because we don't talk about them enough and so in terms of ambiguity it's definitely there and I think to clarify some of these um, taboos and these difficult conversations, I think it's important to bring these up, actually. The, the more we bring these issues up, you know, whether it's a conversation with your mother or your, your partner mm-hmm. or your, your siblings or your father or your, your parents, um, 
you know, regardless of gender, I think the more we bring this up the, and the more we normalize periods as, as conversations, as, as issues, I think we'll start to, to see that it's actually not that hard to, to talk about them. You know, it may be hard to talk about them at first, but I think adding them to our daily conversations, I think that can make a world of a difference in terms of our awareness, in terms of the actions. Um, also, refusing brown bags in convenience stores. Yeah, when you I walk do into too, stores, yeah. you do that. That's great. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> I think when we accept those brown bags, we're basically accepting that this is a shameful thing, that periods are yeah. to be ashamed of. Um and that's not the case. I think we should celebrate periods because without periods, humanity wouldn't exist. And so I think yeah. the more we embrace it and say, no, we don't need these brown bags. We're going to hold this like we hold any other product. I think that yeah. will also change the way we see periods and menstruation and menstrual rights. I think that is one of the important things that we can do in our everyday lives. Definitely. Yeah. That's something that really, I think, you know, if you live in Japan, that's something that you encounter a lot um as someone buying you know um period products and so that's like very in your face right that's something shameful (laughs) um but yeah I wonder what if there are any other countries like in Asia perhaps that have that as well I don't know where else I, I only know that Japan um does that in at convenience stores and I know that you know I think when I was younger I felt kind of because I grew up in this society that, you know, tells people that menstruation is something shameful. I think I found comfort in convenience convenience stores having that because I had internalized that so much. But then afterwards, like I realized, you know, when I got it, when I, um, a bit, when I was a bit older that it's not something we should be shameful of. So yeah, I think, that's a really great thing that you guys um, advocate for. And um, you were speaking about how menstruation concerns everyone, um, even even people who don't menstruate. And um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the role um, men play in helping break the stigma in menstruation. I would say listening to people Um, And and this sounds vague, but uh, if I explain it more specifically, I just hope that um, they reach out to women and menstruators. um, And just to clarify, not all menstruators are women and not all women menstruate. But I do think that generally speaking, when you have a partner and and you know that this person is going through, um, is experiencing periods or period pain or anything, just try to be supportive and and be there and listen. I think the most important thing is to acknowledge your ignorance. If you don't know something, it's okay to not know, but I think it's important to at least try to understand where the other person is coming from and how that person is experiencing periods because that differs among, um, from person to person. And it's important to, to ask questions. And I think it's important for women and people of other genders who menstruate to create that safe space so that people who don't understand periods, like men, um, you know, they could, they might understand periods, um, but, you know, people who don't can ask questions. We want to make sure that they can ask questions and actually say, look, I'm sorry, I'm ignorant, but I want to learn more about periods. And it's important to create that safe space. So I think it goes both ways. But I think in terms of what men can do specifically, they can reach out and ask these questions and be supportive and listen, Mm -hmm. Um, but also respect 
the boundaries. So if people aren't comfortable sharing that, then that's okay too. And I think it's important for men to understand that not everything will be transparent, but Mm -hmm. at least try to be there and and listen so that if someone does want to talk about periods, um, they can, they can do so freely and openly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great. I think, yeah, you put that in words beautifully as well. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think personally, I have like the, I guess the partners I've had in the past, they've been quite respectful in that regards, like when it comes to menstruation, but I know that's not the case with everyone. And obviously, like not everyone, you know, you can't control the education you've received, you can't control their sex ed that, you know, you got when you were a kid. So it's not something like you said, it's not shameful that you don't, you know, if someone doesn't know certain things about menstruation or, you know, feelings revolving around it. Um, But yeah, I think it's great that you said um, that kind of being respectful and trying to learn more when it comes to anything really is really important. Um, So yeah, thank you for that. Um, It's great that your partners were respectful and were there for you to to listen and support you. Um, Let's see, maybe how... We can talk about a little bit about um, how we can change the language around periods. Um, so I think Farin and um, Minari talked a little bit about this too, but it's the language is very feminized. And like they were talking about how there are a lot of packaging when it comes to period products is very like pink in your face, especially in Japan. Um, and obviously, um, non-binary and trans individuals bleed as well and I think this is something that's not very talked about um in general so maybe you can add say something about that right we use the word menstruators just because it's gender neutral and that Mm -hmm. it applies to people of all genders and any gender really um and I think it's important for us to continue to use that word and it may feel uncomfortable at first people might say wait but it's women who go through this right not men but no This is something that I think people of all genders experience, um, especially like non-binary and uh, trans people. And it's important to not make assumptions. And I think the word menstruators respects that and says, no, we're not going to make any assumptions about what you're going through. So that is the kind of language that I think we need. Also, in terms of commercializing periods, I think, you know, you touched upon how it's feminized, and that's absolutely the case. Um, When we look at commercials, a lot of the times we see female models sort of showing period products. But I think the language is not just linguistic, but also the cultural language and and the social language um, that we need to focus on. And that comes from really, you know, adding trans people in the commercials or, or people of other genders who go through periods in the commercial and say, look, this, we go through periods too. And, and to acknowledge that. And so I think the language is all, you know, both linguistic and also social. And I think it's multifaceted and it's important to acknowledge that. And so I think in terms of the word menstruators, it's powerful and we can just use the word period or people who go through periods and, and, and be flexible with the term um, and understand that it's a it's gender neutral definitely yeah I think that's um you're absolutely right I was wondering if um you've encountered any difficulties in regards to what you just said um with Japanese because Japanese can be very gendered at times like for example in English there's 
you know, when it comes to pronouns, we have, you know, she, her, hers, um, his, and also, like, they, right? But in Japanese, like, even plural cases are gendered, I think. If there's anything that's not gendered, please let me know. But a lot of the language, obviously, linguistically, it's different from English, and um, every language is different. So I was wondering if you've had any, yeah, anything to say about that? That's interesting. Actually, in terms of the language, we chose words like seri and we just stayed, mm. um, we used words like seri, geke, and they were not necessarily um, gender biased in our opinion. Um, right. yeah, that's that's exactly yeah. why we chose these words because we were saying, yeah. well, actually, we have to be careful because, for example, the word seri chan, that's a character, mm-hmm. and seri chan, right. chan means you're feminine. Yeah. And so we did have to sort of be mindful of the kind of labels that we that we put and um, mm-hmm. um and the and the people we refer to which is why actually we have a character a mascot and it's called yuteras yeah it's called yuteras sama so instead of saying yuteras chan or yuteras kun we use the word sama because sama basically means we respect you as a person and And it's not gender right exactly and we thought because this word sama is quite hierarchical in the sense that it's you show respect uh to that person um and you know, and I think that by putting the word yuteras sama, we mm-hmm. are showing people that periods are to be celebrated, to be respected, and that was the kind of connotation that we wanted to to evoke, you know, um, to to elicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great that you guys have a non-gendered like um, character that's super cool I think that's really interesting that you brought up Sadie Chan if anyone doesn't know it's a um, it's from a book or a movie there's both right Um, and it's like this little pink heart kind of heart shaped character um, and it's a yeah metaphor of a of your period I guess um just google it apparently in english it's called little little miss p um i haven't seen the movie yet but i think it's interesting that you said that how even um the character name is feminized um or gendered because it's chan um even though this was kind of like a breakthrough um you know in japanese society in some sense because it obviously like people don't openly talk about menstruation and this was huge and I think it was um certain I I can't speak to this very well because I don't know the um situation very well but I know that they had some um they faced some issues with like censorship as well because it was so taboo or something like that or their exhibit the artist exhibit was um canceled or something like that I don't know exactly but um yeah that's super interesting and yeah I, I want to see your guys's character later <laughs> thank you we actually um, have a post on instagram and, oh, and really? english, okay. yeah so it's called yutera sama in japanese but in english mm-hmm. we called um we called it little mr uterus and that mr is m-i-s-s-t-e-r so it's both oh. yeah so it's gender neutral so in, so we thought that might be a good way to raise awareness of the fact that uh, periods are gender neutral that it happens to people of all genders 
Yeah, I think that's, especially in Japanese society, that's not, um, I think even, you know, the idea, the concept of like gender neutral isn't, hasn't permeated at least to the general population yet, you know, so that's really cool that you guys do that. Um, Let's see. Oh, I was wondering, um, in terms of sustainability, I know that Farine and Minari um, talked a little bit about this too. Um, but um, could you share a little bit about that? Or like, what, if you guys do anything um, in your um, Tokyo period movement in terms of sustainability? Yeah, so we introduce products that are sustainable. And then we also encourage other people, our followers to share products that they thought were sustainable as well. And that's been really helpful in terms of uh, creating this conversation about what works for us in terms of the environment. Um, because a lot of period products are disposable. And I think mm-hmm. it's disappointing that our, one of our necessities, you know, period products are actually a, a source of environmental damage and, and that shouldn't happen. And I think that um, some of the products that we introduce are uh, are organic and they're, they're natural and they're environmentally friendly. And so that's been, right. so that's been one of our initiatives and something that we want to continue to work on and introduce. Um, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually started using, um, a Luna Cup or a Moon Cup, however you call it. Um, oh, I know they're different names, like a year or two years ago. And at first, it was a bit daunting um, because you know it's it was kind of still new at the time, or at least I I personally didn't know a lot of people who were using it. Um, so that was in the beginning. It was like, okay, I'm gonna try this, but I'm a bit nervous about it. But once I started try, uh, started using it, it was completely fine. And I felt like it was a bit, I personally felt like it was more sanitary as well because you can clean it as well, of course. Um, right. So, yeah. Right. And there is, yeah, and it's sustainable. You don't want to, you know, if you if it's possible, it's better to not create, you know, a ton of waste and thinking about how much you use every year and then, like, you know, how much you use in your lifetime. Like, that, that's so much. So, has using the moon cup sort of changed your lifestyle in terms of the the number of period products that you you end up throwing away? Do you feel definitely. like there's a significant difference? Yeah, definitely. I just I think also it's more economical as well, um, so that's great. Um, but yeah, I can definitely because obviously when you throw away like a used tampon or a pad, you can you know you notice how much you're throwing away. And with the Luna cup I use, like, I just don't throw anything away, really. It was just a one-time purchase that I made. And ever since, like, I haven't had to use anything um, other than certain emergencies. So that's really great. And I just feel better, like, body-wise that I'm using something that's sustainable. And so just, like, emotionally as well, it's, yeah, it's, I've liked using it. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things. With I think the menstrual cup, some of us are willing to try it, and others are a little bit, you know, nervous to try it. But I think yeah. once we do try it, and once it does fit us, it, it'll it'll start to yeah. to work really well yeah. in our lives. 
yeah even like something like this too I I think I saw like I'm also very into not not like into but I'm passionate about sustainability as well so I was following a lot of accounts on Instagram I think and um that you know we're talking about sustainability and I saw people using um these menstrual cups and I I've never heard any of my friends or anyone I know talk about it before but that just makes you that makes me realize that you know if more people talk about it the like more people will use it and so I try to be open to talk about that as well um but yeah it's great that you actually bring these up because the more conversations we have as you said you know the more awareness and the more demand that we get for these mm-hmm. sustainable products and so it's so important that we that we treat these conversations as opportunities to to really share our ideas yeah i think also i've heard that i think i saw on instagram that there's a um a shop i know that there's one in daikoyama in tokyo where they sell um reusable pads and menstrual cups I'm sure they sell it you know in other places too but um so maybe there is starting to be more um demand for it or at least if there's more shops people you know get the chance to know about them as, as well so that's really cool right um so yeah the more you know the more people talk about it like you said the more people use like more of these sustainable products and just the more knowledge we all have so that's really great Right. And I think it's also important for, um, you know, companies that produce these period products to be environmentally friendly and for us to, mm-hmm. for us as consumers to sort of challenge them to, to do that, because I think it's an important initiative. I mean, with all these environmental issues these days, it's, it's important for us to start pushing for more environmentally friendly products. And unfortunately, a lot of these environmentally friendly products are not sustainable for our wallets. And it's important to say, look, we deserve to have these. It's a, it's a right to have environmentally friendly products and to be able to use them when we need to. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's a really good point that you bring up that it's um, more, you know, sustainable in terms of like, it doesn't cost um, of course, it's like expensive in terms of, you know, making that initial investment. But once you do, you literally don't have to put more money into, you know, menstrual products. Um, other than some maybe like emergency times. But um, yeah, so I think for people who are underprivileged or don't have enough, you know, don't have the right resources, um, or accessibility, this is also a great way to um, approach menstruation as well. And maybe more organizations can look into if they provide period products or something. Um, you know, this could be also a good alternative because it lasts longer as well. Definitely. Yeah. Is there anything else that's on your mind in terms of menstruation? I think menstruation is a process. It's something to embrace. And I think yeah. that when we, when people, when we all lift each other up, I think we all win. And so mm-hmm. it's important for us to, to have that mindset when we talk about periods as well. And instead of shaming people or stigmatizing people for having periods, try to learn from their experiences and try to be supportive if, if you don't menstruate. And if you do menstruate, I think it's important to, 
to be open about it um, whenever you feel like you're comfortable, you know, speaking up and speaking out. Because I think the more we raise awareness of periods, the more we normalize this as a conversation, as an issue. And mm-hmm. and that's really the period movement. I mean, is, period movement is not simply a trend. I think it's also an opportunity to create a new culture for generations to come. And so I hope that we can all see this as an opportunity. And again, I am so grateful to to be able to talk about periods with you because it's platforms like these that really mm-hmm. um, engage people in, in discussing these issues. Thank you so much. I mean, we wouldn't be, be here without your efforts and the time you put into. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of people do as well. And um, yeah, I hope... I'm looking forward to seeing more from you guys, from me, from me girls, um, as well in the future. And yeah, it was great talking to you today. And hopefully once this situation, COVID situation settles down, like, yeah, I'd love to talk more in person. Likewise, I would love to meet you in person yeah. and talk about this and, and so many other issues. <laughs> I feel like yeah. we wouldn't be able to stop. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, yeah, there's so many interrelated issues when it comes to these types of, you know, social issues. Like you said, obviously this wouldn't, there's a lot that this has to do with the patriarchy and what is valued in society and what's important and what's not and things like that. So yeah, it could go on forever. So I'm, yeah, happy to have you back on on the podcast again, if you like. So I would love to be back. Yeah. And let's keep smashing the patriarchy. Yes. <laughs> it's nice speaking to you. Same here. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you so much.